morning, everyone. Uh, my name is John, the lead pastor, and glad you guys are uh, all hanging out with us here this morning. Uh, so, in uh, Amy Sherman's uh, great book, uh, Agents of Flourishing, uh, it's on our resource page. I uh, highly recommend it. Uh, near the beginning of the book, uh, she talks about how you uh, make a decision between what she calls real flourishing and fake flourishing. Uh, and I want to read you uh, what she says. It's the key difference between real and false flourishing. Uh, here's what she says. It says, God created a world of flourishing. And even now, in the age before the final kingdom, he desires that people experience a measure of salome. We are meant to flourish. God created us with legitimate desires and delights. In giving God good gifts to his children, God knows that we want to play and to read and to connect and to belong and to matter and to feel and to rest. In short, we want to live fully. Jesus has no problem with that. Uh, In fact, he says that he came to bring us abundant life. The Bible teaches us to find abundant life in communion with God and in conformity to his ways. Our secular society, on the other hand, uh, believes that we can achieve the good life by satisfying all our natural desires devoid of any connection to or dependence on supernatural intervention. Further, the secular sees flourishing as achievable through human actions alone. We think such treasures are achievable apart from a relationship with our maker and sustainer. In Mark Sayers' memorable phrase, we can have the kingdom without the king. Uh, And here's what uh, we want to talk about today is how is it that we are trying to achieve flourishing? Uh, I can't imagine that there's any of us uh, that are in the room, anyone that's watching online, that doesn't have some sort of a desire inside themselves that they want abundant life, they want a flourishing life. That's not the question. The question is, is what are we going to do to get us there? Uh, And kind of the picture that I want us to have in our head today uh, is a picture that you might have seen from uh, a movie or a cartoon or something at this point. Uh, This is from The Emperor's New Groove, which who's seen The Emperor's New Groove? Uh, It's potentially, I think, one of the most underrated animated movies of all time. Uh, It is fantastic, Uh, and so if you get nothing, I hope you get a lot more out of today, but if you get nothing else, like, you have homework to do to go watch this movie. Uh, But there's kind of that picture that sometimes we have of like, there's these two different things that are trying to tell us what to do, and we're trying to figure out which one are we going to listen to? Which one are we going to find real flourishing in? Uh, So with that picture in mind now, uh, let me read uh, Amy's quote again, um, but with like a little bit of like background of where we've been in our series. So again, it says, God created a world of flourishing, And even now, in the age before the final kingdom, 
He desires that people experience a measure of shalom. And so the idea of created, this is what we've been talking about if you've been with us uh, ever uh, since the beginning of September. We've been in a series talking about God's original plan for creation. Uh, so we've been looking at the first couple pages of the Bible, uh, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and looking at what was God's plan for creation. And what we've been saying is that God created the world to flourish. I uh, can go on. That's been our fall focus, uh, looking at that plan for Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Uh, God created us with legitimate desires and delights in giving good gifts to his children. God knows that we want to play, to read, to connect, to belong, to matter, to feel, and to rest. In short, we want to live and to live fully. Uh, so you can go to the next one. Uh, what God has created our world is what we've talked about since the beginning of September, is that this was God's original plan expressed in Genesis 1 and 2, is that God created a world that was very good. Uh, and by very good, we mean God didn't create this like perfect, stagnant, snow globe world, you know, don't touch it or you're going to break it. God created a world that was very good with the full intention that he wanted it to grow. He wanted it to get bigger. He wanted this garden to expand. He wanted humanity to expand, civilization to expand, innovation and communities and cities and nations. He had all this plan of all this potential packed into this world he created. And so the question is, is how was God going to make this world keep moving? And instead of God just doing it all himself... God intentionally created man in his own image, and he wanted to partner with us. And so clear, there's a boss, there's a king here, but we get to rule with God, and we get to rest, and we get to work, and we get to trust. And like we talked about last week, we shouldn't do that alone. We should do that with helpers. Uh, none of us should be trying to just create rest in ourselves None of us should be trying to work, and even we shouldn't be trying to do this just me and God and know it. We're meant to be with helpers. That's God's original idea. All right, go to the next one. Jesus, of course, has no problem with that. In fact, he says that he came to bring us abundant life. The Bible teaches us to find abundant life in communion with God in conformity in his ways. Uh, so you can go to the next one. So this is, this is our idea for this whole, this is not our idea, this is God's idea in Genesis 1 and 2, is that this is flourishing life. When you are a part of God's expanding world, when you are partnering with God by having rest and delight and Sabbath, when you are using your gifts and abilities and your career to make the world, when you're trusting in God, when you're not living life alone, all, when you're doing all of that, then you are experiencing flourishing. On the other hand, though, our secular society believes, nah, we can achieve that, the good life, by satisfying all our natural desires devoid of any connection to or dependence on the supernatural intervention. Further, the secular sees flourishing as achievable through human actions alone. And so our world is constantly bombarding us with messages that we can have flourishing and we don't need God. Uh, actually, what the world says is, here's what we need to uh, have flourishing, is we just need a burger, 
if you if you could just go to McDonald's and get a big that all that it's all the bliss it's all the flourishing that you possibly need you don't need to listen to it you can find flourishing all on your own it's literally just a burger away uh, or maybe uh, this uh, I learned a couple years ago uh, this logo for Amazon that little check mark there it represents a smile which isn't you know too crazy. And their idea is that when you go and when you purchase something, then it brings a smile to your face. Uh, it's giving us this message that your happiness, your flourishing, your joy is literally only a purchase away. Uh, or like we talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, I went to uh, Barnes & Noble a couple weeks ago, snapped this shot. Uh, this is the personal growth section of Barnes and Nobles, and so there's hundreds of books there, and this represents, you know, just some of the, you know, thousands of books that have been written out there on personal growth, and in every single one of these, some of these might mention God, I don't know, but there's many of them where they have their principle, they have their list of steps, they have their program, and you do this mentally, you do this physically, you apply these things, and you will have flourishing, and you can do it all on your own. You don't need God. Go to the next one. We think such treasures are achievable apart from a relationship with our maker and sustainer. We want, in Mark Sayers' memorable phrase, the kingdom without the king. Uh, so again, that's what we're going to talk about today, is what are we looking for for our flourishing? God has a plan that we've been talking about for the last couple months now, of how he wants us to achieve flourishing. And there's all these other messages, and which one are we going to choose uh, and so in looking at that, uh, where we're at in our series, like I said, we've been looking at Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And so we've been looking at Genesis 1 and 2 so far, which is all about God's plan. This is how it was supposed to be. And today now we're arriving in Genesis chapter 3, which moves on from kind of what was the plan to what went wrong. Uh, and so we're going to start to look at Genesis chapter 3 today. And it's printed in your program, or you can follow along. Uh, but before we get into Genesis chapter 3... I do want to give a quick little, like, sidebar, uh, which would be very helpful for uh, some people in the room and others that might not be as much of a deal. Uh, but uh, what we're going to talk about today, and really kind of all through this uh, Genesis uh, 1, 2, and 3 so far, talking about the creation of the universe. And one of the things that I love about our church is that we are a very diverse group of people in lots of different ways. Uh, and one of the ways in which we're verse as far as our, our faith background and even kind of like our level of like faith and of belief and even what our faith and belief looks like. Uh, and so when we talk about the creation of the world and we've been talking about like how the world was created, uh, there is some folks in this room uh, who it talks about the, the seven days of creation, that when you read that, you're looking at like an actual seven literal days. That's how it kind of breaks down for you. And that's, and that's great. Uh, I, I have no problem with that. Uh, God's really big. Uh, I believe God can do anything. And so if that's how God wanted to create the world, I have no problem with that. There's other folks in the room, and they believe that God created the world through a much longer, you know, millions, whatever, you know, is years process, and that that's how God worked to create the world. And if that's what you believe, I have no problem with that either. God can do that. Uh, and 
you're on different stages of that. But for the folks, I'll talk to you real quick, who are more on that, you know, you see yourself, you're, you're, you're very scientific, you're very logical, and so you want to make sure as you're thinking about embracing some of this faith stuff, you want to make sure you're not buying into a fairy tale, you want to make sure you're buying into something that actually, like, passes the muster. Uh, and so if you're in that camp, I just want to give, give, like, a quick word before we jump into Genesis chapter 3, because the story is going to start off with a talking snake. And so if you're on that logical scientific end, there might be a part of you that's like, all right, I'm out. Uh, I tried. Uh, I don't know how God created the world, but like if this is like what I need to like build everything off of is like, this, hang on, I'm the talking thing. If that's like an out for you, like I get that. And so again, I, I want to give you the freedom and the option. For, so, for some of us, it's very helpful for us to believe that there was a historical event with Two naked people in a garden and a talking snake. I'm fine with that. Uh, If there's lots of other great scholars out there, if if it's helpful for it to be a parable for you, a myth for you, that's fine too. Uh, Because here's what we want to drive home with this story is not like the historical accuracy of it. What we want to drive forward is that there's something in this story that is true whether it actually happened historically or not. And so let me read a quick quote. Uh, this is by a guy named uh, Rob Bell. So here's what he says. We believe the Bible is true. He says, Is the greatest truth about Adam and Eve and the fruit that it happened or that it happens? Uh, and here's what he means by that. He says, The story, uh, one of the first in the Bible, is true for us because it is our story. We have all taken the fruit. We have all crossed boundaries. We have all made decisions to do things our way and then look back and said to ourselves, what was I thinking? The fruit looked so great to Adam and Eve for those brief moments, but the consequences were with them for the rest of their lives. Their story is our story, and we see ourselves in them. This story is true for us because it happened. And because it happens. It is an accurate description of how life is. And so whichever camp you happen to fall in, that's the lens I'm asking all of us to look at this story today. Is that this is not necessarily something that happened or not, but this is something that we can all relate to. Because this is not a story that was written down in the Bible. This is something that happens inside of us on a regular basis. And so that's the kind of go. And by the way, that's not just like how we want to look at this story. That's the way, really, that's what we've been coaching to like read the Bible in general. Uh, so one of the things we encourage all of us to do is to be a part of a community group. And when you're a part of a community group, uh, we want you to talk about whatever we talked about on Sunday and go to kind of the next level of it. And the questions that we encourage you to talk about every single time you get together to the community group are these questions, uh, is to look at the text that we looked at during that uh, sermon. So today it's Genesis 3, 1 through 14 or so. And then ask these questions. What does the scripture uh, from the sermon tell us about God? Because there's something in here that tells us something that is true, that is real about how God is. And what does the scripture tell us about people? There's something about this scripture, and I think all scriptures, that put a mirror up and show us something about what is going on inside of us. This isn't just reading about history. This is reading about something that is happening inside of us right now. It's living. It's active. What questions does this text raise for you? And so you, you, you can ask all of those in your group. There's no, like, if you want to, like, have doubts, bring all this to the table. That's great. How is God speaking to your life through this text? 
And lastly, because of what God is saying in this scripture, is there anything you need to believe or do differently? Which I think is the key. What is this, what is this calling us to do or change in our life? And so that's what I hope we can all do as we look at this today of Genesis chapter 3. All right, so here is Genesis chapter 3. It says, now the serpent, talking snake, uh, was more crafty than any of the wild animals. Uh, and by, we're going to, depending if you've heard the story or not, uh, that's how we're going to refer to uh, this character in this story is as the, the serpent or as the talking snake. Uh, we're not going to refer to it as Satan because it never calls it Satan. So we don't really know. We just know it was like this crafty serpent. That's what it says. That's what we're going to call it. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Uh, so here's what it tells us about this character, this talking snake, is that it's, this is crafty. This is like a little like sinister, it's a little bit manipulative. And this is, the whole thing we're looking at today is that there's two ways to flourish. And God has told us a way to flourish. And now you have this like crafty serpent that's trying to get us to like do something different. And anything that's trying to be a little bit manipulative, a little bit crafty, is trying to help us, it's trying to make us do something that we shouldn't do. And it doesn't, it's telling us a lie. And what we see in this character is that like anyone who's a good liar, who's a good liar in here today? Uh, Anyone who's a good liar, uh, what they do is that they, it's one thing to say like this bold face, crazy, a good liar kind of manipulates, kind of twists the truth a little bit. Uh, so uh, you already switched the next slide, which is fine. And so here's what the, the snake said. The snake said, he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat of any tree in the garden? Which like kind of makes us say, wait, is that what God said? It, it kind of sounds like what God said, but is that actually what God said? Uh, and that's not what God actually said. Uh, here's um, from Genesis chapter 2. Here's what God actually said. And the Lord God commanded the man... You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Here's, that's what God actually says. Like, look around at this big, robust garden. I have all these different trees, and you are free to eat from any of them. And then this crafty servant kind of takes that proclamation of this freedom to eat from any tree and twists it. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any of the trees? Isn't God against all of these things? And I think that's one of the biggest lies that we're told about flourishing of why we shouldn't trust God. It's trying to like manipulate and try to make God seem like that he is not who God actually is. Uh, and in this case, here's what they're trying to convince, uh, the, the crafty serpent is trying to convince us that God is. So this God, this God's negative, down on things. This God is disapproving. This God is not fun. This God is restrictive. And for some of us, that's like exactly the image that we have of what God is like. Uh, I'm a part of a, a running team, and a couple of weeks ago uh, when I showed up to my running group, uh, one of the uh, per- people had bought this shirt, kind of to make fun of me, but they thought it was great. And so this is the shirt that they were wearing when I showed up. Uh, and, and that's like kind of the picture that some of us have of what God is like. It's like God's kind of following us around, and like anytime we're doing something that's fun, anything that's, you know, make us smile, it, it, God's like, no, no, no. And is that who God actually is? Uh, and go to the next one. Uh, what it says about God is that 
who God actually is. God wants us to be free. God is like pro fun. God is pro us enjoying the world around us. And it's this lie trying to say that like all these things are actually uh, bad. Uh, but the woman's actually pretty smart uh, about that, so she calls out uh, this talking snake on that. So you can go to the next one. So the woman said to the serpent, no, 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 no we may eat from the fruit uh, from the trees in the garden. You got that one wrong. God didn't say we can't. God said we can't. But God did say you must not eat from the fruit, uh, eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And so, yeah, he said, he said we can eat from all these trees, but God did tell us this one thing that we shouldn't do, uh, which begs the question, this is what we talked about a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to talk a lot about this. You can go back and uh, check that out. But it's the idea of like, okay, so God gives all this freedom, but he still does have some rules. And so why does God give some rules? Uh, and what we talked about a couple weeks ago is, you know, does God give us these commands uh, to control us? Does God give us these commands to stop our fun? Does God uh, give us these commands to try to keep score somehow? No. What we said is that God gives us commands because he loves us, because he wants us to flourish. That God gives commands just like if you're a good parent. You, you, give, you give as much freedom to your kids as you can, but you're not like the crazy parent who's like, there's no rules, you know, yeah, have your friends over and I'll buy you guys all beer, you know, like, there's like this point, it's like, no, 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 like, I, I love you, so there's some rules, good coaches, good teachers, good bosses, because they love and because they want you to flourish, do give some guidelines. Uh, here's what um, Amy Sherman uh, says about that. It says, imagine you're driving on a twisty mountain road and you see a speed limit sign warning you of a dangerous curve ahead. The posted speed is 25 miles per hour. You know, why would they give this restriction of how, who, who are they to tell me how to drive? If you try zooming around it at 65 miles an hour, the serious consequence is not so much that you might get a speeding ticket, though that is possible as a punishment for breaking the law. The serious consequence is that by ignoring the laws of physics, your car will likely go careening off the road and you could end up dead. Why did they go and put this stop sign there? It's not because they're trying to restrict. It's because they, they want people to live. And God has given all kinds of instructions about life that are like that posted speed limit. Obeying these commands uh, offers the prospect of greater health. And again, we have that choice of, are we going to trust that you know, God's trying to restrict us or the, the rules and limits that God does put on us? Are we going to see those as acts of love and acts of flourishing? Uh, the snake uh, goes on. So the woman said to the serpent, uh, we may eat from the fruit and the trees, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. To which the snake responds then, no, you're not going to die. Which again, that's one of the things we, there's this voice tells me, like, I, I don't want you to do this because I love you, because I want you to flourish. And there's other voice saying, like, there's not going to be any consequences to this. Like, this is going to be fine. Again, this is kind of like a tough one because, again, this snake's crafty. And so he's like bending the truth a little bit. And like, in a way, the snake's not totally wrong on this. Because if those of you guys who know the rest of the story, in a second, they are going to eat the fruit, and 
they are not going to die, at least immediately. They actually live for a long time after this. There's consequences off the bat, and we'll talk about those in the next coming weeks. But it's kind of this long process. And a lot of times, that's how consequences to our sin actually play out. That's the way the consequences just in general work out. That sometimes the things that we do, they don't affect us right away. You know, it's like, okay, so I'm going to ignore my family for a couple days and, you know, really focus on work. And for a couple days, that's not going to matter that much, maybe. But you keep doing that in the long term. Uh, I'm not going to eat healthy food today. I'm just going to eat all the junk food. And for a day, that's really But if you keep going down that path, uh, and it's kind of how consequences end up working. Uh, goes on. It says, for God knows that when you eat from it, Here's what the consequence is going to be, according to the snake. Your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here's what's going to happen if you eat this fruit. You're going to, you're going to know the difference between good and evil. Uh, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, that whether it's a, a myth parable to you or whether this is like a real historical story to you, uh, everyone agrees that this really isn't about a tree and fruit. Uh, that would be kind of like, you know, what, why does God care about what fruit you eat? That this is a tree that symbolizes something bigger. And here's what the tree uh, symbolizes. is this idea of knowing good and evil, which is this question. Who gets to determine what is right and wrong? Who, who gets to be in charge? Um, my uh, son, uh, I have an eight-year-old son, third grade, and uh, over the last couple weeks now, months now, I've heard him a couple different times now, he's picked up uh, this habit where sometimes I'll tell him to do something, and it's usually something, you know, I, I want you to get ready for bed, I need you to get your pajamas on, I need you to brush your teeth, I need you to eat, finish eating your broccoli, and he'll respond back to me. I don't know where he picked this up. Uh, he'll respond back to me, you're not the boss of me. Uh, actually, I don't know, he's said it quite a few times, you're not the boss of me, bro. <laughs> I'm like, one, ain't your bro. Two, I'm, I'm married to your boss. And, <laughs> and that's kind of like, that's part of like being an eight-year-old in third grade of what you're trying to figure out is that question of, who gets to determine what is right and wrong around here? Who gets to be in charge? Like, do you, I know you're my dad. I know, you know, you like pay the bills around here and that's kind of handy. But like, do I really like inherently have to listen to you or not? And that's kind of the question at the table here. And again, this snake is very crafty in how he's doing all this. And he's done something uh, with kind of words here that I think is like super interesting. Uh, so going back to Genesis 2 real quick. And so all through Genesis 2, it's talking about how God created this plan for the world. And every time it talks about God, it introduces the idea of God with this uh, kind of title of Lord. Uh, and in this way, the, the Hebrew uh, word for this, this is like the Hebrew word for, for king or for boss. Uh, this, that this, isn't, that this is God. This is who created the universe. But it's not just God. This is king God. This is boss God. This is like all in charge. And this is like all through uh, Genesis 2. Every time it says God, it says Lord. So go through a couple of them. Uh, this is an accurate account of the heavens and the earth where they were created when the Lord God, that's who made the heavens and the earth. And go to the next one. Uh, the, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the garden. What wasn't just God. This is king God who formed a man. 
the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree. Who gave this command? It wasn't just God. This was King God, Lord God. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And now as this talking snake is kind of giving these commands back to the woman, uh, he, he drops a word on purpose. So in Genesis 3, it says, just for God knows. Let's, let's forget about that Lord piece, okay? This, it, this is God still. I mean, come on, I mean, look around you. You know, he created, you know, there's like some, some things that like we owe him, you know, it's kind of a big deal. But like that whole king thing, boss thing, like it, it, who gets to really determine what's right and wrong? Are you going to let God do it? Uh, and here's some of the questions that he's trying to put in I think the woman's head and in our head still now. Uh, let's go to the next one. It's just, God is holding back on you. I mean, who gets, it, it, the reason why God's not letting you do these things is because God's holding back on you. That God is restrictive. God is not good. And he, here's the real reality is that God doesn't know what is best for you. You, you know who knows what's best for you? You. You know what's best for you. You should be calling the shots around here. You should make your own decision. You know what you should be doing and what you should not be doing. Uh, and that's what, uh, go to the next one. Uh, that's what this whole temptation is about, is that your eyes will be opened and you will know, you will, you will now be the one who possesses the knowledge of what is good and evil. You will be able to decide what is right and wrong. Uh, goes on. So when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Uh, and, and here's what makes all of this so difficult is, you know, you got these two different voices in your head trying to tell you what flourishing is and God's trying to tell you what to do and you're, you know, other things are trying to tell you what to do. You're trying to make your own decisions. And it would be very easy if all the stuff on the God side was just like so obviously like awesome and all the things on the other side were just like a disaster. But what we all know is that it's, a lot of times it's not that way. And actually a lot of God's commands are so, I believe, wonderful. I believe following God, living for God is the best way to live. It is the flourishing way to live. But it is so upside down. It is so countercultural. It is so not the American way that you're supposed to live. And so often the God way calls to like sacrifice and to surrender and this like downward track of like giving money away and spending time with people that are difficult to spend time with. And it's like, it, it sometimes it just seems so difficult and hard and it seems long. And then there's all these other things that seem like so quick and so fast and so like caffeine happiness. Uh, I think to fast forward way, uh, I think Jesus actually described it best when he talks about these guys that were building a house. He says this one guy who's building a house on stone and it's hard and it's difficult. And then this other guy's building a sandcastle and it's just, it just boom, pops up so easy. And so many times like that's the way that like our temptation is, is like the, the ways of God are good, but they're just, they're difficult and they're hard hard and following God, like in the end, it will result in a lot of really good things. But initially, 
And we look at these other things of like, I could just buy this, I could just eat this, I could just jump into this relationship, you know, you know, zero down, no financing for two years, can you believe it? You know, it just looks so good. And this is what this woman sees, is that, it, man, this thing that they're offering, it's pretty good, it's pleasing, it's desirable. And all of you know this, I mean, any things that you have in your past, or maybe just in your present, where you made a decision, the reason why you chose it, because initially it looked good to you. You decide, I'm going to decide what's right for me, and this looks right, and it did. It looked good in the moment. Uh, I love this quote by um, Pastor uh, Craig Rochelle. He says, no, 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 sin can be fun. If you don't think it is, either you didn't do it right or you're lying. Uh, and that's true. We have to like, like, acknowledge that, and that's the temptation that this woman is facing. It goes on. So so she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it, and then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they realized that they were naked, ashamed, guilt. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Uh, And we'll talk about that more in the next couple weeks. But now all of us know that reality of making a decision that in the moment felt so right to us. And now we have all this, like, guilt and shame about it. Uh, If I was to uh, come in this morning and we would put, like, a a weight scale up here and said, uh, hey, for today for service, we want everyone to come up and everyone's going to stand on the scale and announce how much they weigh. There'd be this, like, no, I don't think so. (laughs) Because there's some decisions I've made in my past that at the time I thought they looked so good. But this will be telling a truth about me that I don't necessarily want told. Or if I said, hey, we're going to, um, uh, next week for church, I want everyone to bring your financial statements with you. And we're going to pass them. We're going to put them up on the, on the screens. And we're going to show what everyone's individual credit card debt is. Uh, we're going to show what you, your amount of savings are or aren't. Uh, we're going to show some of, like, the, the, uh, the purchases that you've done over the last couple years. And as part of this, it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> because I... I made some decisions that at the time felt like the right decision, but now I have like a level of shame about that. Uh, Or if we said, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pass around uh, our phones. uh, We're going to pass around our laptops. And we're going to show what everyone's uh, internet history is. Let's just go around and let's just like let everyone see like what we've been like perusing, what we've been shopping, uh, what different sites we've been looking at. There might be a thought of like, oh, no, no, (laughs) because I've made some choices. That at the time, I mean, it felt this is going to, like, bring me momentarily happiness. But now I see no. And it's just kind of the world that we all live in. Uh, you know, back to that uh, Rob Bell quote from the beginning. Uh, that this, is, this whole idea of this temptation isn't just like a story that was written down. This story is our story. We see ourselves in them. This story is true for us because it happened, and because it happens. It is an accurate description of how life is. All of us have lived in this. Uh, And so what we want uh, to do is we want to be a group of people that has worked, this is like our life that we're living in, is we are constantly living in this world of these different voices telling us what we should do to flourish. And you have a choice of how are you going to flourish. This coming week, as you go into Thanksgiving, as you get ready for Christmas, as you make potential New Year's resolutions, what voice are you going to listen to to allow you to flourish? 
uh, in the prayer we introduced you to a few weeks ago. This is from uh, Proverbs chapter 3. It's to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And that's what we want to be in the process. We want to be the kind of people who are trusting God with whatever. We want to make him king and Lord, whatever he says, we want to do it. Even if it seems like it's a harder way, even if it doesn't really make sense, even if we have questions, if we have doubts, we say, because you said it, I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I'm going to follow you in all I do. Which brings up a big question of how exactly do I do that? <laughs> how do I trust God in all things? Trusting God with all your heart. How do I do that? Uh, and the truth is, I don't think it's like, it's not like this thing, you, it's not like a moment in time where it's like, okay, now I'm trusting God before then I wasn't trusting God. It's like, it's a process. Uh, I love this uh, definition of the idea of discipleship, and that's really what we're trying to be here, is we're a group of people, they're, they're in the process of following Jesus. And some of us have like officially started following Jesus, some of us are still thinking about that, some of us have been following Jesus for a long time. But for all of us, it's not like a single decision. It's like it's a process. And here's what discipleship is. is Discipleship is the process of moving from unbelief to belief in the gospel in every area of life. Is we only, some of us are trusting uh, God with enough of like, I'm going to trust God on my Sunday mornings, and that's great. I'm trusting God with maybe like some decisions in my life. And wherever you're at is great. And we just want to just keep taking steps to keep trusting God more and more and more. Um, one more quote, and then we're going to uh, do a prayer here at the end. Uh, this is from uh, Dallas Willard. Again, just talking about this idea of moving to trusting God with everything. And that that's how God, that's the original plan, is that we are trusting God with everything. That we are not just making him God, but we are making him Lord. So this is Jesus' disciple. I am making, uh, I am his apprentice in kingdom living, which means, again, I'm, I'm learning, I'm watching, I'm following. I'm, it's, it's a process. It is my faith in him that led me to become his disciple. My confidence in him simply means that I believe that he is right about everything. So when I have a voice telling me that this God is restrictive and that this God is trying to keep me from having fun, and that's why I choose to believe that this God wants me to flourish. He wants me to have a buddy. He, that, that, that voice is not true because I believe that God is true about everything. When this voice is telling me, like, man, you should make, like, this other, th- this other thing your process, you know, make your happiness be about what you buy or what you eat or uh, make your happiness about listening to these other different voices out there, that I believe that Jesus is right about everything, that all that he is and says shows what life is at its best what it was intended by God to be. Uh, Again, how do we do that? How do we move to trusting God more and more and more? Uh, And what I want to propose this morning is that I think it's a process and it's a posture. Uh, It's a process that we continually keep moving in, and it's a posture that we intentionally put ourselves in. Uh, so as we end, uh, I want to lead us through a prayer. This is a prayer that we've done uh, numerous times, and so some of you have been a part of uh, doing this before. Um, I printed it, and it's on your chairs, um, because when we've done it before, uh, some folks have said that they can't read it on the screen, and I get that. And this is a prayer that the idea is 
that this is words out of our mouth. This is holding our hands and our bodies in a certain way. It's putting ourselves in a posture with the hope that as we keep like moving in these actions and in these words and in these postures, that it actually starts to like transform our hearts and it transforms our minds. And that if this was something that if you made a practice of doing on a regular basis, um, it encourages daily. Maybe some of you want to do that. It just kind of get yourself in that idea of what would it look like for me to fully surrender and follow God today. Uh, and then I want to give a last bit of extra encouragement before we pray this. Is that as we pray uh, these three prayers, something might come to mind of some sort of a current tension that you are living in, where God is telling you one thing, one way to live, one way to handle your life, one way to handle your relationships, one way to handle your money, and you have this idea in your head of this other way that maybe looks really good, and you're trying to figure that out. And so if one of those tensions comes to your mind and comes to your heart, uh, I would ask you to not just leave that in your mind, but maybe later on today, when you get together with your community group, share what that tension is and walk through that together. Uh, so with that, let's say these uh, three prayers uh, together. Uh, so this first one, uh, with our hands, uh, if you would put your hands in the air and say these words with our mouths with the hope that they move into our heart and into our lives. Uh, let's pray this out loud uh, if you can. I choose to hold my hands up as a symbol of surrender. My life is not about me. I surrender to your lordship. I surrender my preferences, prejudices, and position to you. I surrender my fears, finances, friends, and family to you. Take a moment and think about that. Uh, if you could leave that last slide up for a second, Aza, just, just think about what that might mean in your life for a second. Uh, next, let's put our hands out forward. I choose to hold my hands out open as a symbol of generosity. What I have is not mine. I am only a steward of all that you have given me. I want to mirror the way that you have opened your hand to us and lavished your love and life upon us. I want to live an open-handed life in a closed-fist culture. Just think about that. Lastly, let's hold our hands uh, out in front of us. I choose to hold my hands forward as a symbol of mission. I want to live for something greater than me. I want to embrace your kingdom mission. I want to embrace and welcome your mission to the lost, last, least, and lonely, to the poor, powerless, privileged, and persecuted. 
reflect on that. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to continue to pray through uh, this next song that we're going to sing together. Jesus, this is truly the story that we live in. There's voices in our heads telling us to spend and to eat and uh, look at and uh, enter into and to be a part of things that at some level we know are not going to be good for us in the long term and more so are things we know that you have given us a restrictive you've given us a command and it's not an oppressive command trying to keep us from enjoyment but it's because you love us and because you want us to actually flourish we have a choice in front of us two ways in which we can flourish we can choose to listen to what you are saying that we flourish through listening to your commands and being in your presence or we can try to flourish somehow by trying to just cherry pick from your commands or ignore your commands or try to do it outside of your presence. And it's hard. Help us to be the kind of people who are on a journey of putting our faith in you, our belief in you, that you are actually Lord and God, that you are the smartest person that has ever lived that what you say is what is truly going to be best for us. Even if it's longer, harder, more sacrificial than what we might like in the moment. Same we pray. Amen.